you're you're in a house, you open the front door, and then you're on a porch. And the porch is red tile, and everything is red around you. It's bricks, uh, brick columns, brick walls. It's it's this big brick enclosure, and there's a stoop that goes up to the porch that's about uh, two or three flights, and there's a porch glider, and there's some porch furniture that's been weathered over the years, and it's raining, but it's warm, and you can hear the cardinals chirping at each other, and you can sort of taste the rain in the air, and you can feel it, because it's humid, and it's getting heavy, and there's a little flashes of lightning, and at that hour, the lightning bugs would still be out, and it's just barely... The blacks in the morning are kind of moving away, and it, it's starting to kind of become pink and blue. And breathe. That's more like it. Hello, Steve here, and welcome to another episode of The Poetry Pharmacy, where every few weeks I invite someone I like and admire to join me in the pharmacy to prescribe a poem that they carry around in their existential first aid kit. A poem they love, and one which they hope that you might love too. This week I'm joined by the poet Keegan Lester, whose poem you might recall Chen Chen and I discussing a few episodes back. That was from his fantastic collection, which came out this year from Slope Editions, called This Shouldn't Be Beautiful, But It Was, and It's All I Had, So I Drew It, which is a fabulous title for um, a really great collection. And this time round, it's Keegan prescribing a poem by Eva Maria Saavedra from her chapbook Thirst, which was published by the Poetry Society of America in 2014. Hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, this poem is called After Watching a Video of Frida and Diego at La Casa Azul. They look toward the trees, his hand on her cheek and her lips fall into a smile. Is this false? I recall a picture of my godchild with flowers in her hair and a scowl on her face. She is femininity and anger, though at the age of five, she knows next to nothing about our kind of disappointment. I want it to stay that way because the types of men we love keep us heavy with forgiveness. I'm sorry it was just a fuck. It's like a handshake. Well, in that case, I'm sorry I had someone else on Tuesday, even though I knew you'd be coming over after class later that night. I couldn't wait to get off, and the thing is, I've never been more in love with the possibility we represent. The push and pull of it all. A friend once scolded me. She told me if he's hitting that, He'd better be paying for something, like a bill or dinner. He's a student, I told her, and laughed. What I really thought was my electricity bill was only $40 this month, and the most expensive dinner I'd had cost $120 with tip. Are these numbers I want to assign myself? No, I don't think I'm worthless. I think of myself as priceless. My body is infinite. Great, thank you. So, where, where would be a good place to 
to to start with this poem i'm interested what particularly was it about this poem that spoke to you from the collection what what is it that that where where does the poem really touch you i guess it's it harks back to that idea that you know the whole point of the existence of somebody that's been colonized is that they're a commodity for you know for somebody else and what she's doing here which i think is really 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 smart and beautiful is she saying that i'm not a commodity and that you know my body is not a commodity and that it's more important than that and it's more vast than that and so i really really love yeah. that she is you know she's essentially she's paying homage to frida and she's saying that you know you can be in love and you can be a sexual being and you can also be an artist and you can also be a feminist and you can also think about the actions that I'm doing right now how is that going to make it better or worse for the generations behind me yeah and I, I think I also interpret it as um, sort of when when I when I think about the writer and the context of what it means to to have a body, what it means to be a, a woman or somebody who identifies, uh, you know, is queer or somebody who is a woman of color with a body in, in America, right? You are being told, you know, from day one that your body isn't worth as much as other bodies, right? Because when you turn the TV on, what you see are, are white actresses for the most part. And when you look at magazines, you see models that are white and are skinny. And you see a very particular Western idea of what beauty is. And I think what she's saying is, where does, where does the woman who, who's mostly indigenous, who's a woman of color, where does her body fit into that? And mm. I think that it's, it's more to say not that like her body has, has no limits in, um, in, in lasting or, you know, in, in terms of expiration, but she's saying that the beauty that uh, she thinks of as the indigenous body or as the potential for her, this, her goddaughter's body or the way that we think about bodies, um, that that value is infinite, not, not the expiration. And so for me, when, when, I, when I read that, I, I think of it as not just this hopeful thing that she will live forever, but that she is saying um, that the beauty of the indigenous body, especially having to wade through um, the perception of the, the American, especially the North American culture, is that that, ha that, that body has value for more than just uh, sex, right? For more than just um, a commodity, and I think that's that's why it means that to me. Um, but I mean, mm -hmm. e everybody's going to read that differently. I think. Sure, and I mean, you know, um, I, I I want to thank you for, in a way, kind of politicizing this poem for me because my default mode is to is to really read through. May, probably entirely almost through a kind of a, a psychological lens or a spiritual lens. Um, and so I, I appreciate you adding, adding other layers. Um, why don't we move on to the, the other poem that 
comes from, or that was inspired by the, by Carlo, both as a, as an archetype, as a, as a, yes, as an archetype of womanhood, I guess, in some, in some ways, and also as a, as an artist. And that is um, Pascal Petit's poem, Remembrance of an Open Wound, which um, was published in a collection from 2010 called What the Water Gave Me. And this is, this entire collection is um, Petit responding ekphrastically to Carlo's work, to the paintings. Um, so I'm going to read that for us, if that's okay. Great. So, Remembrance of an Open Wound, after Frida Kahlo. Whenever we make love, you say, it's like fucking a crash. I bring the bus with me into the bedroom. There's a lull, like before the fire brigade arrives. Flames licking the soles of our feet. Neither of us knows when the petrol tank will explode. You say, I've decorated my house to recreate the accident. My skeleton wired with fireworks. My menagerie flinging air about. You look at me in my gold underwear. A crone of 16 who lost her virginity to a lightning bolt. It's time to pull the handrail out. I didn't expect love to feel like this. You holding me down with your knee, wrenching the steel rod from my charred body, quickly, kindly, setting me free. So, I mean, both of these poems, um, I suppose in some way, would fall into the tradition we know as ekphrasis in the sense that they take, um, in the first case, uh, a, a, a piece of film, um, which is this video of Frida and Carlo, uh, Frida and Diego, um, which you can actually watch on YouTube. I don't know if you've actually seen, have you watched that little, little three minute clip on YouTube? Um, I've not, I've not seen it. No, it's it's really worth watching. I'll actually put the link to the the show notes, um, a link in the show notes. Um, it's a very, again, perhaps that also set my set me up for the reading of the poem because it's a very unsettling video in in, in a number of ways. I'd, I'd be interested to to get your take on it when when you've watched it. But so that's where Eva starts. She starts from this as a response to this video, and so does um, Pascal Petit. But I suppose Pascal takes us wherever resides in her own subjectivity, to a large extent. Um, Pascal is attempting to take us into the subjectivity of Frida, I imagine. Um, and yet, at the same time, um, I wonder to what extent is the overlap 
I always wonder this with ekphrasis. Um, what is the overlap between the the poet's the eye of the poet, the eye of that subjectivity, and the subjectivity that is being set up as a sort of dramatic monologue? Um, I mean, do you have a particular <laughs> a particular take on ekphrastic poetry? Where where do you sort of <laughs> where do you stand on 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 that genre, shall we say? I'm I'm I think that any poem, uh, regardless of genre, if you do it well, you do it well. I I mean, there's definitely poems in my collection that are coming from a a, a speaker that is not me, and you see that a lot mm -hmm. with um, uh, obviously elliptical poets like uh, Lucy Brock Brodo uh, and Marie Howe, who are writing from these uh, characters. Um, maybe less Marie Howe, more Lucy Brock Brodo. But writing from these characters in history and in time to investigate, uh, you know, uh, motivation to investigate why things happened the way they had happened. And I, I think what's interesting with uh, using art as a, as a point of entrance to a poem, it means that you can distance yourself. You can really get into the mind of something maybe you wouldn't allow yourself to say or to confess. And so what I think is really interesting with this poem is that you have all the, you know, you, you have that sort of cockiness or that knowingness that I think Frida has, but you also have that hurt and the, you know, look at me in my gold underwear, a crone of 16. And the juxtaposition between crone and 16, you know, because uh, crone is supposed to be this old, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, elderly, feeble-looking, thin person. And to be that at 16, you know, supposedly that's like at the, you know, the, the, where, where all youth is supposed to be happening in the height of sexuality. Yeah, that's a, it's a curious, it's a curious line, isn't it? A crone of 16. I was wondering if perhaps at that moment we're sort of, seeing a kind of folding over of different time frames from Frida's life. And so at some level, she is, um, she is a 16 year old. She is a, well, practically a child, but perhaps also because this is when she's losing her virginity to a lightning bolt, suggestive almost of some of the rape and abuse sanctioned by Greek myths, you know, you think of the gods going and raping virgins. Um, there's almost a sense of, of an, an, older, an older woman looking back and an older woman recognizing perhaps um, the, the trauma of that moment. Because I think this is, to me, this feels like it's a poem about trauma, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, what it's doing is something, it's very Frida and it's very much of that, um, of, of sort of that tradition, which is to use magic realism to help better explain something that happened that's too hard to explain with like the language that we have. You know, the reason why people come up with tall tales is because something happened that you can't explain any other way, you know? and. How, how else do you explain rape than with a lightning bolt, something that happened so fast and yet it was so powerful? The thing I really love about this poem is that, to come back to your writing exercise that you give your students, is that, um, you know, when we look at Carlo, Carlo's 
work and particularly say for example this again slightly unsettling image um, which is this painting which we only have this um, black and white um, photo of because it was it was um, lost in a fire but it is an unsettling image of her wounded um, masturbating at the same time the first sketch of it is actually she's headless and I think when we see an image like this sometimes we can uh, which again people do a lot with Carlo right we can kind of exoticize it we can sort of um, put it into a fetishistic category we can kind of make it other but what I love about this poem is that to for me at least it seems to be saying the other is always the other is always us in other words um, Frida brings the bus into the bedroom the bus being I imagine you know the, the, the bus in which she had this horrific accident that, that um, gave her all these um, physical injuries which she struggled with for the rest of her life. But don't we all bring the bus into the bedroom? Um, in other words, or, or anywhere. In other words, don't we all carry our trauma with us? And when we then try to be intimate in any way with another human being, um, either speaking to them about poetry <laughs> or having sex with them, at some level, our trauma is there. Our bus is there. Yeah, I mean, it's very true. I, th I think that the idea of generally when people write about sex, or a lot of times when people write about sex or depict sex in art, the idea of taking one's clothes off is like the unburdening of, uh, of different kinds of weights, whether it's social weight or trauma or political, social, whatever it is. And I think that this poem is acting to go against that, to say that actually, even in the most intimate of spaces, that we're actually putting trauma on ourselves and putting trauma on, on the person with us, right, that we trust mm. because of all the things that have happened to us with people who you know, make us not trust others. It's a, I mean, it, it's really, really well done um, in terms of poems on intimacy. That, so mm. when I was reading, the first time I read this poem and I was reading the wrenching the steel rod from my charred body, mm. I was struggling with that because I was like, it's clearly about, it's, it's clearly rape, but is it also about uh, the bus, right? The bus and is it also about saying that, you know, you never really lose trauma in, in, until you die? And is it the, mm. the steel rod being moved from the charred body actually the idea that she quickly, kindly dies at some point and that's when all, all these things go away from her? I, I don't know, but I, I mean, you can read it so many different ways and it's definitely um, steeped in sexuality and definitely right. steeped in the, right. in the rape, but it was yeah. just... It's kind of like she's asking, is he, in a way, is he saving her or is he in some way almost um, abusing her or obliterating her? And interestingly, I think if you watch that video, um, uh, you know, the Frida and Diego video, there is something about that in the video. You know, it's, it's very difficult. It's, it's, their roles are very interesting. Um, you know, she's almost like, in a way, she's almost, she almost is like a mother figure. He's like a little boy, and yet he's much older than her. Um, and there's, th th again, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a real sort of um, uncertainty as to what roles are being kind of played out between the two of them. 
What did you think about the line, uh, you say I've decorated my house to recreate the accident? You know, for me, again, this comes back to the whole trauma thing in the sense that if we've been traumatized and we've all been traumatized because you know, whether it's big trauma or big T trauma or small T trauma, um, uh, you know, birth is traumatic. Uh, there's the trauma of, of everyday existence. Um, I know in an interview you talked about bullying, right? Um, I know that you experienced a, a fair amount of bullying as a child. So my sense is that when we've been traumatized, um, we can't help but somehow see the world slightly through, through those lenses of trauma. And so... And I think that, what that that's what that line is saying to me, you know, that we can't help but decorate our house, see our world um, as, a slightly, as a slightly less safe place, as a, as a place where gruesome accidents happen, as a place where um, people are cruel and unkind, right? If you've been bullied, um, how can we not decorate our house with that notion? Because we've, we've lived that notion. You know, I, I take the house to be so many things. I was thinking about religious context. I was thinking about when you, um, you know, the idea that house stands in for body, um, but it also stands, you know, in for, for the place that, like, the soul lives or where the heart lives or where all these things are. And I also think about house in terms of, like, this is where you keep your precious things and you keep your, your family and you keep, uh, you know, your art. And to decorate a place to recreate the accident, it makes me wonder if it's, you know, are you recreating the violence of the accident? Are you recreating the space where um, just before the accident happens and you are without knowledge that such an accident could ever affect your life? Um, you're going to the place where you knew your life as you knew it as, as you've always known it up until that point. So you say I've decorated my house to recreate the accident. I, 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 I didn't grapple with it. I, I, I liked it because I thought that it could mean a lot of different things. And I, what I really love about this poem is that because there's, it's such an image-driven poem that you can kind of walk away with a lot of different ideas about what things are supposed to mean and what things are supposed to um, be and what, what characters are supposed to be. And then if you go and you look at the painting, you'll have an idea, obviously, but I, I think that this goes further than that. And it's, it's almost like every single line is, is, could have been a painting. You know, whenever we make love, you say, could have been a painting. Uh, mm. You know, all of these lines are so just gorgeous. I, no, I was going to say, I think that's really beautifully put. And I also think that's, that leads us perfectly into experiencing some of the cadences of your work, which I'm really looking forward to, particularly after these two poems that, as incredible as they are, they both have a somewhat fraught um, uh, character to them. Um, and so I'm really looking to to what I, what I feel is sort of the, it's kind of almost kind of going back where we started or back onto that porch, which I think your poem um, exquisitely um, 
takes us to that. Would you would you read for us, please? Uh, so this is out of Ghost Note. Uh, the poem starts to my mother painting hummingbirds. To my mother painting hummingbirds, the feeding and caring for something else is the art part in all of this. To learning how light changes relationships as a child, it's easy to think people and love are both infinite things, to algebra, geometry, and geographic information systems, to what I wrote years ago when we were still everything we made, and everything we made a gift for someone else, to these things we are little more than what we bring to our ear, to the bell St. Francis introduced to Christianity, borrowed from Islam a call to worship, First the smaller ones, then the larger ones. To the morning I swore I could hear your heartbeat lying in bed next to you, my ear in the nook between your neck and chest. If there's a book to prove me wrong about the factual possibility of the location of that pulse, it exists because the writer has never been in love thousands of miles from home. To the book and the writer of the book who's never been in love thousands of miles from home. To the low-hanging fog, strangling the lights around Portland, blinking Morse code into the clouds, to the games clouds play when people are looking. Thank you. It's fantastic to hear it in your voice. Um, I thought we maybe could start with that line, the feeding and caring for something else is the art part in all of this. To me, that very much feels like a, a kind of an ars poetica for maybe for you, um, for, for this collection. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, um, w without a doubt. I think that was sort of, I, d I don't think that collections necessarily have theses, but I know that my development as a poet changed uh, exponentially when I started writing not to sort of push my own ego, but for the people that I wanted to write poems for. When I when I realized that uh, you can write more successfully as a person writing for another person than for yourself, at least in my case, um, I think my poems got better. Mm, yeah. It's really interesting thinking about, I think, your poetry and also this poem in relation to the other two, because, you know, the a poem that falls into the tradition, let's say, of ekphrasis, um, which is essentially a somewhat, you know, if you trace it back to its roots, a kind of a rhetorical machine to some extent, and then follow that on with a poem that is more, which is how I read your poem, um, more like a kind of an ode, um, one, there's definitely a shift in tone there um, and perhaps also a shift in the intent of the poem. Yeah, so I think the majority of the poems in Ghost Note are odes. They're, um, they're sort of looking at the beautiful things around us that we don't get to think are beautiful very often. And for me, it was my mom, I, I never thought of my mom as an artist or anything, and I never thought of her as making art or being this person that aspired to make art. And one day she started painting, and she really loved it, and she could 
paint colors in a way that I've never seen anybody uh, use color before. And this was a little bit after I was in grad school and I was starting to publish poems. And I think it was like by me starting to get my work out there, she was like, oh, maybe I should be doing something similar. And she was painting, she could paint um, scenes very, very beautifully, but there was something about it that was missing. And it was the same problem that I had when I was in grad school or when I was still sort of struggling. Like I, I could proficiently write a poem that people would be like, oh, what he's doing is very smart and what the, what the line is doing is interesting. But still there was a disconnect between the way that that poem would uh, make somebody feel in their stomach or in their heart or, you know, I, I don't think I knew how to, how to make people believe at that point. And at some point, my mother, I, I wrote a poem, a different poem, and my mother was like, oh, wow, this is like one of the first poems that I ever read of yours that I thought was, uh, that I understood everything. And, mm. you know, it didn't feel like one of these struggles that I, I, I had when writing it. And, it. and it felt not easy, but it felt like it came from a different place. And that was a poem that a lot of people have ended up really, really loving. And I realized at that point that, you know, the place that I was struggling to put out these other, other things. I was struggling because I was trying to prove my worth. And when I went from the place that, that made people feel things, it made more sense. And similarly, my mom, um, she, when she was painting, she started um, taking care of hummingbirds out um, near her house. And there was like a desert storm that happened. And so she ended up protecting like a nest of hummingbirds during this storm. And because she protected them and she fed them and took care of them, they let her get really close. And so she would take pictures of them like really, really close and high depth pictures. And she could see all the colors and she could see them from a different um, angle or position because she had this relationship with them and they let, they let them, uh, her in sort of into their, into their world. And she started painting these hummingbirds and it was like the change in her art. Like she could paint the eyes um, of, of animals or of people or of different things. And there was a kind of spirituality that she was connecting or a humanness or a, there, there was like a being that, that when you looked at those paintings and, and then in that art that was there that is sort of like the crux of what all art is, is how do you get somebody to look at something and say, I, I, I see the humanity in that, or I see the, I, I see the feeling in that. And it, it was literally the relationship of um, caring and feeding for something else. It's a really incredible time to be in poetry right now because I think that f with the internet, we, we're enabling more people to have access uh, to platforms in a way that people didn't have access to, even in, in the 90s, you know? And so there, there has to be something nourishing, I think, about, about the, the art that you make for another person, or there has to be something that will sustain another person um, otherwise it's it's just like a it's a masturbation right it's a yeah I mean I, I would I would completely agree with you which is I suppose also where um, my my sense of let's call it a medicinal poem <laughs> versus a non-medicinal poem would you know kind of come into it and it's still it's still a thesis I'm kind of trying to trying to work on 
Um, I mean, it's, you know, I, I really love the fact that you asked me, you know, what would I um, prescribe the, um, the petite poem for? Um, and, and certainly one thing that really interests me and one thing that interests me in what you, what you were just saying there is that I'm completely with you and yet at the same time, I sort of almost want to have my cake and eat it in the sense that I want poetry to feel like it's nourishing and medicinal um, uh, or sort of uh, medicinal is perhaps not the right word because that's got a slightly clinical sound to it. Let's call it sort of spiritually nourishing, like a like a kind of a secular prayer. Um, but at the same time, I also wanted to I don't I don't want it to become a hallmark card. Right. Um, and it's uh, it's such a it's such a delicate line to tread, um, and and I mean you you do it wonderfully because your work is rich and elusive and um, yeah and unsettling as well it seems to be my word of the day unsettling in the right quantities. Um, and yet, at the same time, it is also deeply, deeply um, uh, healing, I think. Thank you. Thank you. I know that I want to I be an entertainer for somebody. I want to be the thing that uh, somebody reads before going to bed. Or I want to be the thing hmm. that nourishes somebody. I want to be the thing that somebody thinks about. And I want to be the thing that is also accessible, that also fills somebody. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be the way that um, some people talk about Nietzsche. Like, you know, you have people that have never read Nietzsche and they're like, Nietzsche's an asshole without ever knowing anything about Nietzsche. And then you have people that have read Nietzsche that are like, Nietzsche is everything. And I don't know if I want to be everything or nothing. I think I want to be, as a poet, something that people can access when they need it. And poetry right now, we're at a, we're in a place where we're just starting to get get that kind of level of um, sort of accessibility into the community. I think like when we talk about writers like Ocean Vang and Kaveh Akbar and, you know, Chen Chen and uh, Denise Smith and all, all these people that are doing just like incredible things right now uh, with social media and without social media and what's going on with the BuzzFeed poems and we just have a tremendous, and I mean, Morgan Parker is another example. I mean, she's just, she, mm. it's, it, it's all these people that are finding ways to take what's going on in America and to say that, um, you know, poets are Americans too, and we see what's going on and we're speaking up and, you know, sometimes it's, it's to talk socially and politically, but other times it's to say that, you know, somebody loves you somebody's experiencing this thing that you're experiencing too and it's not all rich dead white people that uh are taking stakes to a to a genre of writing and you know those are the those are the kinds of poets that i really look up to that i really um love because they're they're doing more to prop up um people than they are i think worried about the constraints of a, of a genre of any given genre Wonderful stuff. Thank you so much, Keegan, for coming into the pharmacy and chatting to us. Um, 
really, really enjoyed talking poetry with you. As ever, it would be great if you could do us a one-line or two-line review on iTunes, give us a handful of stars. That would so, so help publicize the podcast. And also, don't forget, we're on Twitter as at Poetry Pharmacy and Facebook as well, I think, um, where we're kind of tweeting out prescribing poems on a daily basis for whatever ails body and soul. Looking forward to reading and sharing some more poems with you next time on The Poetry Pharmacy. Until then, take care of yourself. Bye-bye.